Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a very special guest on today. I, I This guy, I was just introduced to him recently and he is the former attorney general for the state of Nevada. He is a speaker. He's an author. He's a consultant. And he's, from what I can tell so far, a really, really good man. So I want to welcome my new friend, George Chanos, to the show. George, welcome to the show. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, man. It's not as early here as it is out there. No, it's 8 a.m. here. Yeah. I guarantee it's cooler here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so George, I, I told you I started this show to help people get unstuck in in life and uh, I, I guess you know this guy joe ingram you know that guy yeah <laughs> yeah so um you know and and so this is this is literally your your life story and how you've you've hit the the bumps in the road and got through them and 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 broke through the walls in your life that have held you back metaphorically um and and you know so that's what it's about so why don't we start with where you were born and raised? Okay. So uh, I was born and raised in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, um, which is, you know, obviously the heart of the Midwest. Yeah. And um, it was a small town, uh, about 50,000 people at the time. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was very young. Uh, I had two wonderful parents who were uh, important uh mentors and 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 uh advisors throughout my life but uh they had their own issues with each other and uh they got divorced when i was very young so at one year old i was shuffling back and forth um not quite at one um i'm sure they you know my mom kept me uh more with her in the very beginning but by the time i was eight years old i was transferring by myself at chicago's o'hara airport with a stewardess uh, going back and forth between my mom and dad, uh, between uh, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and Las Vegas, Nevada, where I live now. And wow. uh, those are very different environments. <laughs> and I had very different parents. Uh, my dad was a traditional Greek uh, from the Midwest. His parents immigrated from Greece. And uh, he was uh, basically the, you know, a salt of the earth type of guy. He uh, was um, just a I got uh, the values that I got from my dad were character and dependability and integrity and family and those types of values. Uh, the values that I got from my mom, my mom was a model in the 1950s in Chicago and Milwaukee, and uh, she married several times. Uh, she was a very bright woman. Uh, she was attractive. Uh, she was uh, a career woman in the 50s and 60s when that was rare. Yeah. Uh, for a woman to both have a career and a family. Um, she had both. And yeah. uh, she was, uh, she had ambition. Uh, she uh, was determined to live her one and only life under her terms. And, um, and she did that. She just passed away last week. My father passed away about six months ago. He was 92. She was oh 89. Yeah, she was 89. Well, I'm, hey, I'm sorry for, for your loss. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, well, I celebrate their life. You know, I, I um, you know, things happen to us in life that are good and bad. Obviously, the, the loss of your parents is a huge uh, negative. Um, but, you know, life 
life throws us negatives. And, uh, you know, we have a choice on how we choose to uh, deal with those uh, circumstances. And, and I choose to find the good in, in things that happen and, uh, and look at the bright side of things. And I celebrate the fact that my father lived uh, till 92 and that my mother lived till 89 and that they both had uh, uh, wonderful lives. And wow. uh, they, they made a contribution and they left uh, some great kids behind and those kids will carry on their traditions and, and their goals and their own goals. And, you know, yeah, it is wow. what it is. It is what it's part of life, right? So, so, you know, I, I, I come from a divorced family too. And I, so I, I get that. I, I think, you know, you ended up, I mean, obviously where did, so where did you end up going to high school? Was it in Wisconsin? I went in both States. I went, uh, oh. Oh, yeah, I went to, I went to grade school, high school and college in both, uh, Wisconsin and Las Vegas. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I shuffled, I shuffled back and forth my whole life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So I wish I had frequent flyer miles from back then. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, it looks like you're sitting in a very beautiful hotel lobby. That's my home. home. It's gorgeous. That's the point. Like that's your home. That's, that's a hotel lobby for most people. That's gorgeous. Thank you. So, so, um, well, okay. So you, where, where do you, if, if somebody says, well, where did you go to college? Where, where? <laughs> well, I went, I went, uh, um, I graduated from UNLV. Okay. I was student body president at UNLV. Wow. And then, um, I went on and I worked for Senator Paul Laxalt in Washington, DC after that. Okay. And then, uh, I got, uh, hired, um, by uh, one of the top law firms in, in the world, actually. It was the third largest law firm in the world at the time. Uh, Finley, Cumble, Wagner, Hein, Underberg, Manley, Meyerson, and Casey. And uh, the, young, the young associates at Finley were called the Dobermans. And I was one of the Dobermans. And wow. yeah, so I was an aggressive litigator. Um, and, uh, you know, litigators uh, lead uh, stressful lives. Um, you know, you're battling in court. And uh, I did that for many years. And ultimately, um, had enough of it and uh, did quite well at it. You know, I, I, I became kind of captive to it because it paid very well. Sure. Um, and so I did it longer than I kind of wa- wanted to. Um, yeah. But um, the money was really good. And so it was hard to not do it, you know? Right. So, so when you say litigator, were you, was, was there, did you have a specialty? Were you more on the defendant side, I guess? I was a business litigator. So what okay. happened to me was I was trained. I was trained by Finley as a business litigator. Okay. And we, had, uh, we had substantial clients. We had large international clients sure. and uh, high net worth individuals. And then after doing that uh, for a while, I decided I wanted to go out on my own. And so I opened up my own law firm here in Las Vegas and uh, I built a boutique practice. And when I opened up my doors in Las Vegas, Vegas was the fastest growing city at the time. I was practicing in the San Diego office of Finley. Wow. And, uh, and, and uh, when I moved to Vegas, it was because we were the fastest growing city in the country. And I thought, you know, I've got contacts there. I've got family there. I had worked for Senator Laxalt. I'd been student body president. Why don't I leverage some of these things, go back and build a law practice in Las Vegas? So that's what I did. 
And when you open your doors in, in as a sole practitioner, um, I had my wife working with me. She was a lawyer as well. And uh, we had another associate when we started. Yeah. And um, so it was a small, very small boutique practice. And um, people weren't all coming in for litigation. Some people wanted to uh, buy a business. They wanted to go into partnership. They wanted to buy a piece of land. So there was a lot of transactional work. I had to become a self-taught transactional lawyer. Wow. And, uh, and then ultimately my practice uh, uh, came full circle and I did both business transactions and business litigation. I did wow. not do any divorce. I did not do any bankruptcy. Um, you know, no, you didn't chase any ambulances or. Well, I, I had a couple of cases that were uh, uh, people who were injured, but very few. Um, and okay. uh, uh, no, I was not chasing ambulances and I was not uh, uh, I was not doing that type of thing. I, I have some friends that do that. One of my best friends is a big, big business litigator here in Columbus, actually. So I'm familiar with the stress levels. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so you, um, so you did how long now, how long were you in private practice then? So you, you were with the, the big firm for how long? Well, I was, uh, I graduated in, in, uh, 1985. Okay. And then from, uh, 85 to 2005, I practiced in San Diego. Okay. okay. And then in, uh, 2005, I moved back to Las Vegas. Gotcha. And I practiced in Vegas from 2005, uh, uh, I'm sorry, from 1995 to 2005. Okay. And in 2005, I was asked by the governor of Nevada uh, to become Nevada's attorney general. And uh, so I shut down my law practice. I gave it to my partner and wow. gave all our clients to my partner who was, a, who was younger than me. And uh, he took over the firm and uh, I went and, uh, and became Nevada's attorney general. And wow. I did that for two years. I was expected, what happened was the former attorney general became a federal judge and uh, it created a two year vacancy. Gotcha. That the governor in Nevada was empowered to fill. And so he looked around the state to uh, find a replacement and uh, settled on me. And uh, I was asked to take the job. I, I shut down a very lucrative law practice and I took a job for $130,000 a year. Oh, my gosh. As, uh, as Nevada's attorney general, because it was a dream. It was yeah. something that uh, I had uh, had an interest in my whole life, actually, to wow. one day get in politics and uh, and to um, try to make a difference in the world. And yeah. uh, when I got into politics, I found that it wasn't for me. Um, I love the work. Um, I love the law. I loved uh, being in a position to make decisions. Yeah. Um, so all of that was great. The job itself was fantastic. I loved the job. Um, but I hated politics. Yeah. I hated the dysfunction. Um, I didn't really fit into the political structure because I'm not a uh, I'm not a party type of tribalist type of guy. I'm not yeah. a, uh, buy it off the shelf, you know, pick the whole list of things right. the Republican Party is selling or that the Democratic Party is selling. Right. Um, I'm, an, I'm an issue guy. I, I look at issues one by one and I right. make the decision one by one. So, you know, Republicans may have a position on gun control, right? They may uh, be very pro Second Amendment, right? Right, right. Well, I, I'm pro Second Amendment, 
but I'm also in favor of a ban on on assault weapons and high ca- yeah. high capacity magazines, right? Sure. So sure. so I have a rational perspective towards these issues. Um, I uh, I have a concern over global warming like the gem- Democrats do, um, but I actually think that there are more pressing issues facing America today than global warming. And uh, you know I believe it is in fact potentially an existential threat, but I believe that the division that this country is in, uh, is uh, encountering today is a far greater existential threat and yeah. a far more immediate existential threat than global warming. So, yeah. you know, I look at issues and, uh, and I'm just, I'm not a party time type of guy. I, I, I'm with you, man. I totally agree. We gotta, we gotta stop the madness of, of, of the separation. That's my personal opinion. It, it's a huge problem. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth talking about a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, researchers have gone back and they've had to go back 160 years to the civil war to find a, a level of political polarization uh, in this country. Um, they had to go back 160 years. It, it, wow. uh, it was not this bad during the civil rights movement. It was not this bad during this, the Vietnam War. And, uh, you know, more people died, uh, 700, 800,000 people, Americans, died during the Civil War. Uh, that's about 10 times what died in Vietnam. It, it's far more than, than all the wars that America has ever been involved in. Um, we lost more lives during the Civil War. And in 1860, we didn't have 300 guns, 300 million guns in circulation. Right. In 1860, we didn't have social media. We didn't have foreign countries that could uh, reach into the cell phones of our youth and agitate and agitate, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people in in disenfranchised communities spread throughout the United States. Uh, We had 25 uh, riots during the 2016 uh, election. Many of them were instigated uh, either by foreign or domestic actors. Yeah. Um, you know, we uh, we are not uh, immune from that. I, I don't believe that uh, future wars will be fought with uh, with uh, aircraft carriers and cruise missiles. Nobody's going to attack the United States with that. No. What they're going to do is they're going to disrupt our economy. They're going to disrupt our uh, infrastructure. They're going to disrupt our population. Yeah. Uh, there may be pandemics, you know, like what we're experiencing with the coronavirus. Um, but I, I've. I, I have heard and read on and from credible sources um, that that the coronavirus is is a man-made virus. Well, that's interesting. Um, I I have read uh, from some researchers at Scripps that it is not a man-made virus. Okay, uh, but that's sort of misleading because yeah. if I were if I were a state actor. And I wanted to create. First of all, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Okay, right, right, so, right. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I go, don't either. I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole, you know, too deeply. But, but, right. but, just, but just talking about that. Yeah. If I were a state actor and I were going to create a virus, uh, you know, I certainly would not want my fingerprints on it, right? Right. So it wouldn't appear to be a man-made virus, right? Sure, I would. Sure. I would. I would create a an organically created virus right and then i would uh, manufacture it or 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 uh, you know mass produce it um but i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't start with a man-made virus that could be easily traced to right. a point of origin right so the fact that it 
is not man-made doesn't mean that a state actor couldn't have been behind it. But I don't believe that's true. I believe that it's it's probably uh, what China has said it was. Although I don't, you know, I don't take China at its word on many things. Um, but but you know, I, I have no. Let's put it this way: I have no evidence to believe otherwise at sure. this right. So. And, and, I mean, and to your point, I I, I think that. And this is my opinion. I, I and you, I, I, I want to hear yours. But do you think people might be overreacting? Well, some people might be, um, but I don't. Uh, I don't think, uh, generally speaking, uh, my answer would be no. Um, you know, the the things that you're seeing that that are quite dramatic, where countries are closing borders, right? And, uh, where the NBA is canceling its season and the James yeah. Bond movie is, is, you know, uh, postponed till November. And, uh, we may cancel the summer Olympics and, you know, all of these types of things. Um, do I believe that that's an overreaction? Absolutely not. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is not that I think that this particular virus is, um, all that, uh, different, uh, from other viruses or, or more scary, um, it's because I think that containment is, 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 and should be our number one priority. I, and, I agree. And, 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 and that's, and, and how do you contain something like this? It's, 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 you know, part of it is, is, uh, you know, of course, washing your hands and disinfecting and limiting travel and limiting contacts with crowds and right. all those things. And these are these are very, very important considerations. They shouldn't be underestimated because ultimately sure. not every country can impose quarantines like China. Right. China, right, right. China has the ability to lock down 50 million people. We yeah. don't have we don't have that ability in the United States. Right. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Como uh, tried to quarantine a one one square mile radius in in New York and had to call out the National Guard. And <laughs> people don't cooperate, and and Americans think they have rights, and you know they <laughs> they, they don't listen to police. They you know throw right. water on them and 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 shoot them in Dallas. And uh, you know, so we're, a, we're a very different country. Yeah. But uh, Italy has closed its borders and China, you know, has, has done as, that as well. And, um, you know, these the reason for containment, people need to understand what what containment's all about. Right. Why do you close your borders? Why do you cancel uh, the NBA season? Why do uh, you restrict travel from foreign countries? And the reason is this viruses spread. They spread through contact among our population. And, and this virus is going to spread. Um, Angela Merkel in Germany uh, estimates that 70%, 70% of the German population uh, will be infected with this virus. And as of today, Germany has only got two or 3,000 people um, that uh, are infected. Um, and so, and yet she believes 70% of their population uh, will be affected. So they've done some modeling on this and they're not sharing they're modeling with us. Right. Uh, but the modeling is probably very scary. And so when you talk about overreacting, they don't want us to overreact. And so they're not sharing all this information with us. But right. there, there is historical precedent that we can look at. And, you know, we can look at, you know, for example, the 2009 uh, swine flu. And that's, yeah. that's very instructive. 
in terms of, of what can happen. So, and, and that happened here in the United States. And, uh, you know, it certainly didn't, uh, didn't create this type of reaction. Now, maybe it was overshadowed by the 2008 economic collapse, right? Right. Um, and, and maybe there were other things that were going on that were occupying our attention at the time. Sure. Um, but the swine flu, let me give you just, you know, some, some basic information on what happened in 2009 with the swine flu. Okay. Um, all right. So number one, there were 59 million Americans that were affected with the swine flu. 59 million. Okay. Really? Yeah. 59 million people affected with the swine flu uh, in, in the United States in 2009, wow. which, you know, seems very odd because you, you think we heard less about that yeah. during the Obama administration than we're hearing today uh, in, in this administration. Uh, about uh, what's going on here. Now, maybe that's because this is a global pandemic as opposed to something that was more concentrated in the United States. Well, that and, and I think social media is much more prevalent today than it was in 2009. Right. Well, that's true. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. In 2009, um, during the swine flu, you had uh, 265,000 people who were hospitalized, right? Jeez. And you had uh, uh, about 12,000 people who died. Okay. So, so here, here's the, uh, um, and then when you look at the history, I've made a few notes on this yeah. that uh, I'll share with you. So the first case uh, was in Mexico um, in March of 2009. And then uh, it spread to the United States and uh, it was here and spreading in April, May, and June of 2009. And by June 25 of, of 2009, the CDC reported that we had 25,000 cases. So, so from March, March, April, May, June, right? So we're yeah. talking about four, four months. In four months, we went from zero to 25,000 confirmed cases. Now, Jeez. why don't I remember this? I know. Now, in June, this is in June of, of uh, 2009 that we had 25,000 confirmed cases, right? Okay. Now, now in, in, on June 25 of 2009, the CDC came out and said they had just reported that we had 25,000 confirmed cases. Later that month, they came out and said, we're estimating a million cases. Okay. So they're reporting 25,000 cases. My God. And then, and then shortly thereafter, they're estimating a million cases. Okay. Okay. So, so what they're reporting today is not what exists. Okay. Uh, there will be a, 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 an announcement at some point of a much higher number. Um, but they don't have those facts right now. And they're, right. trying, to get their, they're trying to get a handle on them. So we have that by November of 2009. So from, Ju from June 25, 2009, yeah. announcement of a million cases. In November of 2009, in the US, they, uh, they estimated 22 million cases. 22 million. In 22 million of the swine flu? 22 million of the swine flu. In, in, uh, in, in November of 2009. By December of 2009, there were 50 million, 50 million and 10,000 people dead from, from the swine flu. Okay. Oh my gosh. Now vaccines became available in December of 2009 
and that you know put a huge uh, 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 crimp in in the spread of sure. the virus, and uh, um, and and you know saved God knows how many lives. Um, but uh, you know, so that that is a a recent precedent. That is two thousand and nine. That yeah. is the United States. That's an influenza, and um, and so it shows you, you know, what can happen, right? Right. So, so the same thing can happen here, right? Now, ten thousand people dying is actually a small number, you know. Right. It's, right. Uh, we have far more people dying from car accidents or cancer or you know yeah. other things that affect us uh, that we live with all the time. Yeah. Um, there are many other diseases that are killing more than ten thousand people a year. Um, but those diseases aren't affecting 50 million people, right? Right. So, so, you know, part of the issue here is, is containment and part of the issue here is treatment. So the first issue on containment, um, is that you want to contain the virus. You want to contain the spread of the virus for a number of reasons. Number one, you don't want, uh, large segments of the population being infected, Right. The, yeah. smaller, the smaller the population, the better, the more controllable. If we have large populations, uh, large segments of the populations uh, that are infected, they will overwhelm our hospitals. And, and if they overwhelm our hospitals, then that has a reverberating effect uh, with regard to other issues. So other people that are seeking medical attention may not be able to get into a hospital if the hospital is overrun with influenza patients. Right, right. So that's the first issue. Um, and then the influenza patients won't be able to be treated either because there are just too many of them, right? right? Yep. All right, so that's one issue. So containment is a huge issue. We need to try to limit the spread of this virus. So how do you limit the spread? Well, in China, uh, they quarantined uh, the entire city of Wuhan, right? And yep. Have that option. Quarantine the entire right has shut down the borders. Yep. And and again, we don't have so um, it, you know uh, theoretically we could do it, but it would cause such massive disruption that that uh, we wouldn't want to do it. It would be an absolute last resort. Right. So uh, so uh, it's it's unlikely. So and and even if we tried uh, enforcing that would be difficult. Right. So, so what we have to do as Americans is we have to self-quarantine. We have to self-quarantine, which means we have to do all the intelligent things that will limit the spread of the virus, meaning we have to wash our hands. We have yeah. to not touch our face. We have to disinfect and uh, use disinfectant frequently and liberally. We yeah. have to uh, avoid crowds. Um, this is why the NBA canceled their season. And, yeah. and one, of the, one of the blessings that we have in this country is that, you know, companies, responsible companies like the NBA, yeah. uh, take action on their own. Nobody said to the NBA that you must cancel your season. Yeah. Nobody said to the makers of the James Bond film that you must delay the opening. I mean, they had advertisers all over the country that, that put up billboards for a release in March yeah. And, and those advertisers are going to be sorely disappointed that the release is not occurring until November. But, right. But the people in Hollywood that are releasing that movie made the hard decision and, and said, you know what? 
we're just not going to do this. We're not going to, you know, expose the public to these crowds. And the NBA made a similar decision and others are making similar decisions. And I applaud those decisions. I think that I, I, I do too. These are, these are good corporate citizens that yeah. are doing this. These are not people that are acting out of hysteria. These are not people that are overreacting. These are people that are engaged in, in self-containment and, right. and helping, helping society contain the virus. So th this, these are good things, very yeah. good things. Yeah. Um, I've personally canceled my travel plans on, on a lot of uh, non-essential travel. Um, I have a, a, a wedding of, of relatives in Orlando at Disneyland, at Disney World. Uh, the last place I want to be right now is Disney World. I'm so, with you. You know, so I'm not taking my side of the family out to Disney, Disney World for a wedding. Um, not today, you know, not, not next month. And, um, and uh, I'm also canceling. I, you know, I wanted to go to Asia and I wanted to go to Europe and I'm not going. Not right now. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm not canceling. I, I may, if I have to get on a plane for something, I may do it. If I do, I'll take precautions. Yeah. Um, I will avoid it if possible. Um, yeah. I am avoiding going into crowds. I'm avoiding, uh, uh, concerts or any kind of heavily congested areas right now. I'm also 61 years old yeah. and I, and I've had pneumonia when I was 30. So oh, wow. I, I am in a high risk category okay. and so I may be, you know, more cautious than some. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I, I had um, Mark Victor Hansen uh, introduced me to a lady named Mitzi and I won't, won't go into her, her, you know, who she is, but she, she's a, she's a science writer, a Harvard grad. She's a friend of mine now. And I had her come on. She wanted to come on and talk about this. She was the most widely syndicated science writer in America at one point. And so she's brilliant. And she said, you know, she was talking about how to make a mask and, and, you know, and she wasn't trying to cause any kind of panic. It was, it's more of just be prepared, like use your brain, yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And, and I don't get the whole run on toilet paper, but whatever. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but people freak out for their own reasons, I guess. You yeah. Know? And, and, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a prepper. So I'm not uh, I'm not stockpiling, you know, uh, uh, large quantities of food and, and everything. Right. But, you know, I, I, I was a Boy Scout and yeah. I believe in being prepared. And right. so, you know, I will have uh, extra water on hand. Sure. And I will have, you know, a, a reasonable supply of food in, in my home. Yeah. Um, but I'm not uh, I'm not stocking up for the apocalypse and I'm not filling my garage with food or doing anything right. like that. Right. Um, but I'm taking common sense precautions and, and yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to contribute to containment as yeah. a good citizen. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm keeping my distance from other people in public. Yeah. Um, I'm you know, if I had a cold or I was sick, I would not go out at all uh, yeah. and expose other people to my sickness. Um, you know, just be a good, good citizen. You That's know? it. He's don't sneeze on people. Don't cough on people. Yeah. Stay home. Yeah, I get. I, I agree. And, yeah. and, well, yeah. Bob and I, Bob and I were on on a live last night. I think you hopped on at the. Yeah, end. A little bit, yeah. yeah, we were talking like just use common sense. Like yeah. just use common sense. That's that's yeah. really. But people, you know, it's like today, and and is it an overreaction? I don't know. But I my I kept my nine year old daughter home from school. 
And, 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 you know, if the school calls with questions, I I have answers. So, you know, so, you know, you don't want to overreact, but you also don't want to underreact. Right. right? It is, it is equally important not to underreact. That's right. So, so, so do not, people should not compare this to the flu. Okay. People should not say, you know, this is just like the flu. Okay. Because we have the flu every year. We have the flu every year and nation states have not closed their borders. And World Health Organization has not declared a pandemic. Right. Uh, You know, this is a rare occurrence and should be treated with the, with the gravity of a, of a rare occurrence. But like anything else in life, you gain nothing from hysteria. You gain nothing. You gain nothing from worry. So don't worry. Don't be hysterical. Just be smart. That's it. That's That's it. it. You just summarized it. That's that's it. Yeah. So so thank you. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that because it's it's good to hear somebody. I mean, you've been in a very extremely high governmental position, and you kind of know, right? So. I, 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 I love that man. So, so you, um, back to who George is and, yeah. and, and, and like you're, you're a rock star. So you, you, you were the attorney general for two years. You decide, did you say you decided not to run again for a second yeah. term because of the politics you didn't like yeah. The politics? Yeah. I, I, uh, I was appointed to fill a two year term. Okay. Um, and uh, by the governor, uh, the former attorney general resigned to become a federal judge. I was appointed to fill a two-year vacancy. Yeah. I filled that two-year vacancy. Um, I actually loved the job. I loved the work. Um, I argued, I got to a, a unique opportunity of being able to argue before the United States Supreme Court, a once wow. in a lifetime opportunity. Um, wow. I, I had a unanimous uh, decision in front of the court, which was a highlight of my legal career and really one of the highlights of my life. And um, it was an extraordinary experience, but politics is very dysfunctional and politics is very toxic. And, yeah. you know, we all have a choice to make and we all have a right to decide how we want to live our lives. And I chose that I did not want uh, retail politics. I did not want to be an elected official. Right. Um, I did not want that to be part of my life. And so um, even though I had a five to one fundraising advantage and even though I was incumbent, the incumbent, I gave back all the money. I had one I had raised one point two million, one point two million dollars. My opponent, uh, who's now a United States senator, had raised one hundred and sixty five thousand to my one point two million. Wow. I, I gave my money back to my contributors and I raised money for my Democratic opponent. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Which which you don't hear a lot of, you know. No. Yeah. No. Crossing the aisle, man. That's yeah. that's that's, uh, that's very sacrilegious in politics. Right. But she's a good woman, and she's a good friend. And yeah. I was at her wedding, and she was at my wedding. And uh, the fact that she's a Democrat doesn't concern me. I'm not. Uh, I don't consider myself a Republican or a Democrat anymore. Um, I used to be a Republican. I was yeah. a socially liberal, uh, fiscally conservative Republican. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, in 2016, I, I, um, withdrew from the Republican party out of protest and, uh, I, um, I registered as nonpartisan and, wow. uh, you know, yeah. um, I, I felt the 2016 was a, uh, 
was a, uh, a, a watershed election in, in, in my view, uh, where the American public was given two choices between two candidates, neither of which did I feel deserve to be president of the United States. I, yeah. I, I have a higher standard than, than, than what either of those two candidates offered. Yeah. Um, you know, we, some people may disagree. Some people may think, you know, that uh, they like one or the other. Um, I think we can do better out of 340 million people. I think we can do better than both of what we were offered in 2016. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's it, 2016 to me was the canary in the coal mine. Uh, it was the first warning sign, the big warning sign to me that yeah. uh, politics is now uh, almost irredeemably dysfunctional and that uh, systemic change is going to be required to really right the ship and, and get us back on track. Um, we, you know, you, you just look at things. I mean, you know, one administration builds, uh, the Obama administration, you know, builds the uh, Obamacare, right? This healthcare system. And, and it's imperfect. It's got all sorts of problems. I don't like it. I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it did nothing on cost containment. They didn't go after the pharmaceutical companies and, and the hospitals and the insurers and, and you know, uh, um, work them down on price and, and try to create an affordable system. There are a lot of flaws in that system. And so, you know, uh, the Trump administration came in and, and they did everything they could to dismantle it. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe that's maybe that's, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, maybe it should have been dismantled. I, I don't really know. I'm not deep enough in in the uh, the details of the system to really opine on that. But the fact that one administration builds a system and the next administration tears it down and then you see Trump building the wall and you see Democrats saying that if we're elected, we'll tear down the wall, right? So, it's, it's insanity. Yeah, any system where one government is, you know, one administration is building something at our expense right. and the administration, the subsequent administration is dismantling it at our expense yeah. is by definition a dysfunctional system. Amen. I agree. It is a it's a mess, and I, and and I, I I'm just gonna put this out there, and I don't want to turn this into any kind of political debate because I don't debate. Like no, I have my beliefs, and, and, and but like uh, it, it's out of control, and and to see the literal hatred and the blame and the you know Jack Canfield wrote a book called The Success Principles, and the very first principle is. Take 100% responsibility for every single outcome in your life. It's the most important principle anybody could live by. Yeah. But this, we're in this we're in this society of of pointing fingers at everybody except the mirror. And it's yeah. like it's like come I I get honestly I, I it makes me sick. I can't I don't watch the news. I don't watch CNN. I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch it. I can't. It makes me crazy. I can't yeah, do so, it. So so the difference is. I watch all of it. Oh God! I watch all of it, and well, I notice I have no gray hairs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I watch all of it, and I read everything I can get my hands on. And so I'm, even though I don't want to be an elected politician, yeah. um, I have always had a passion. I've had three. I've had three passions in my life um, throughout my entire life since I was a child. Uh, one is art. The other is is politics, and the third is business. 
And, and so I, those three things have always uh, enchanted me and interested me. Um, but when you, talk about, when you talk about lessons, there are a lot of lessons that are important and self-sufficiency and, yeah. and personal responsibility and choice are you know, very high among them. Um, but when we look at what's going on today, and, and when I talk about division as being an, an existential threat, I, I truly believe that the division is our greatest existential threat today. Because in yep. 1860, when we had the Civil War, the greatest carnage in American history, um, we didn't have social media, we didn't have 300 million guns in circulation. So we are at greater risk having this level of division in the country. So we need to get over the division. And how do we get over the division? Is, is the real issue. And, right. uh, and it's not easy. It's difficult. It's difficult because, you know, you, you have, you may have someone like yourself who, who, who believes in personal responsibility, right? Right. And, and I believe in it as well, right? I believe in yeah. it as well. And then you, you see someone else who is not acting with personal responsibility, right? And, and, yep. and, and you, you know, you look at that and you look at the unfairness of, of you being asked to carry this person who is not engaged in personal responsibility, right? There's an inherent right. unfairness, unfairness in that, sure. right? Yep. And and so uh, you know, conservatives and Republicans and people who generally embrace the concept of personal responsibility, they recoil at the concept of you know why it's hard enough me you know, uh, uh, living my own life and supporting myself and worrying about my own children and worrying about my own parents and worrying about my own family. Yeah. And and now you're asking me, you want to tax me and you want to overtax me, you know, yeah. to create a socialistic society for Bernie Sanders and his followers, right? Yeah, that sounds like a brilliant plan. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so there are a lot of us that think, you know, that's, you know, that's bullshit, right? Yep. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, you you also just like when we say overreaction is is counterproductive as well as underreaction to the coronavirus is counterproductive. Right. Well, the same is true when you look at uh, issues like economic inequality. Right. All right. So so we have we have and capitalism versus socialism. Right. Right. So the 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 notion that that you know, capitalists have all the answers or socialists have all the answers or Republicans have all the answers or Democrats have all the answers. For me, these are all non-starters, okay? Amen. And, and they're non-starters for a number of reasons. Number one, there are very many good ideas within the Republican party. Yep. And there are also a lot of bad ideas. Yep. There are also very good ideas within the Democratic Party, and there are also a lot of bad ideas, right? right? Capitalism is the greatest economic engine that the world has ever devised, but it is not a perfect system. It is by no means a perfect system, okay? Right. Communism is not a perfect system, socialism is not a perfect system, and capitalism will be found to not be a, a perfect system, all right? Right. Right. We are already finding that we are leaving millions, that the capitalist system has left millions of people behind, right? Yep. Because, because we've preached personal responsibility. We've preached we're not our brother's keeper. And we have allowed large segments of our society to become disenfranchised, to become you know, uh, 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 magnets of crime and discontent and hopelessness and despair, right? Right. So now you've got social media 
And now you've got foreign actors. Russia tried to influence our elections. You know, the uh, uh, Trump administration hired Cambridge Analytica to target people called persuadables. The Cambridge Analytica uh, identified as persuadables, people who could be persuaded. Right. We have these social media tools where we can reach in, we can find people, we can identify them. We know everything about them. We know their preferences. We know their beliefs. We know their desires. We know their hopes, their dreams. It's all on social media. It's in their purchasing history. It's yep. in data. It's their, all, search, their search history. Their, their, it's, all, it, it's all very yep. much obtainable, right? So yep. now, now we have the ability. We've learned more about the human brain in the last five years than the last 5,000 years. Yep. Advertisers have been manipulating us for generations, right? Yeah. Now we have the ability, foreign governments or, or uh, malicious actors have the ability, could, foreign or domestic, have the ability to go into these centers of discontent, these centers of disenfranchisement, these ghettos, these, these urban blight areas, right? And they can go into the cell phones of these people and they can agitate, right? Yeah. And they can create disruption, right? And if yeah. somebody wanted to start a war with the United States, they wouldn't fire a cruise missile. They nope. would pull up an aircraft carrier on, on the beaches of Florida, right? right. They, would, they would sit at their laptops, they would have thousands of people on laptops, and they would be targeting our population. Yep. And they would be creating division. They would be creating discontent. Yep. And we now see the highest level of division in the United States. We are the most ripe for agitation, right? True. It's true. We had 25 race riots throughout the United States in 25 cities throughout the United States in 2016. Many of these were agitated, intentionally agitated. Yep. There's evidence, it's been reported, that uh, the Ferguson riots in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, I mean, we could spend an hour talking yep. about the, 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 uh, the shooting of uh, um, Michael Brown by Darren Wilson. There's yeah. an 87-page Justice Department report that I would, I would, I would highly recommend that everyone read. Um, no one's read it. I've read it, um, and and it basically it'll tell you that Michael Brown made you know some very critical errors in in the way he interacted with the police, um, and and they ultimately cost him his life. I mean, you know, one quick fact people don't realize: he actually not only did he punch Darren Wilson while he was sitting in the cop car. This is all in the in the Eric Holder Barack Obama Justice Department report, right? Yeah. So this yeah. is not me saying this. This is this is Eric Holder and and Barack Obama saying this. Right. He, he, there were witnesses that that you know were interviewed, and you know two elderly black women were interviewed that were walking down the sidewalk, and their testimony is contained in the report. Uh, Michael Brown punched Darren Wilson in the face while he was sitting in the cop car, and uh, and then leaned in and wrestled with him for his gun. And, right. and the proof of that is the fact that Darren Wilson pulled his gun and shot Michael Brown in the hand in the cop car. In right. The car. There's this, vi there's video of it. This this was I, I never saw this reported. I never saw this reported. Maybe oh. it was maybe there was video. I don't know. Um, but I never saw it reported the first time and the only time I've ever seen it was in the in reading the 87 page Justice Department report. But wow. this man actually went for the cop's gun in the car, was wrestling with him for the gun. And yeah. then he ran off. And then when he was chased, he was told, you know, stop, stop, stop. 
he, he finally stopped. He never raised his hands. The witnesses said he never raised his hands. He never said, stop, don't shoot. He turned around and he began to charge Darren Wilson. And uh, ultimately, when he got about 10 feet away, he was shot. Uh, Darren Wilson unloaded his gun and, yeah. and killed him. You know, um, but there were race riots that were that were intentionally agitated around the Ferguson shooting. Yes. And, and those race riots then spread to Minneapolis and Chicago and Milwaukee and to 25 cities around the country. Yeah. And guys and, 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 you know, George Soros, for example, uh, was reported as spending thirty three million dollars to bus paid to, to pay to organizations that bust paid protesters to Ferguson, Missouri, paid protesters and paid organizers and agitators to create and ferment this public outcry, which resulted in riots and spread to riots around the country, ultimately leading to the assassination of five police officers in Dallas, Texas, yeah. assassinations of police officers in Baton Rouge. People, the bottom line of this is that is that technology and media can be used to agitate the American public. The American it public absolutely can. There are segments of our society that are at a boiling point, and yep. these, and these segments can be agitated yep. and and disrupted, and this can cause tr tremendous turmoil. So so the the moral of the story is that you know why do we have these pockets of of criminality and 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 economic blight? and discontent and disenfranchisement that, that create a vulnerability for the country as a whole, that, that, that can be approached by agitators or by uh, foreign actors or, or, or domestic actors. Right. And, and my point would be, we have a vested interest. The, the, the people that are working successfully, that are engaged in personal responsibility, that are you know, trying to lead good lives that are getting educated, that are working hard, that are doing what they're supposed to do. That community of people has a vested interest in paying attention to those who are not doing as well. Those right. who are following behind, falling behind, those who are economically challenged, those who are suffering, those who are, you know, living on the streets that are homeless. We have ignored this population for far too long, or we, we have addressed their needs inadequately. Either way, we need to change that behavior. We need to understand that society is profoundly interdependent. We are all interdependent on one another. Right. And we can't let our brothers fall to the wayside. And because Americans, America's poor is very different than third world than a third world country's poor. Yeah. America's poor will not starve and suffer in silence. Okay. Right. They, they will or, or they don't they don't if they do it's a choice. And yeah. and, and and I I in my book, I mean I, I'm a recovered alcoholic, 17 and a half years sober, but prior to that, I actually was homeless four different times. And I wrote in my book that in 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 retrospect looking back it 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 was i said it was a choice i i didn't i mean i never like said hey man i hope i become homeless but it was like i could have made different decisions and and yeah. and, and eventually i did right so yeah. 
it sounds like I need to be interviewing you because that, <laughs> that, 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 that's actually an amazing story and, well, and, and could be very inspiring for, for the people that I'm talking about. You know, yeah. you look at you today yeah. and, and the fact that you were homeless four times yeah. uh, tells me that there's, that there's a lesson there, right? Yeah. How did you go from that to where you are today? And people need to hear that story. And, yeah. and so more people should be talking to you about that story because that's an important story. Um, my, my point that I'm trying to make is yes, it's very much about personal choice and yeah. we all are ultimately responsible for the choices that we make. But some of the choices that we can make also include the choice to help others, right? right. And we're right. responsible for that choice as well, right? I agree. And if we choose not to help others and it comes back to bite us, which it will, then we are responsible for that choice as well. And so, yeah. so the point that I'm making is that, you know, people like you today, right, that, that are doing well, people like me that are, you know, have done well or are doing well, we have an opportunity and I believe a responsibility to lend a helping hand. Totally to agree. Bring other people up, right? And if we do that, and, and it's, it's very much like, you know, circling back, tying this back into the coronavirus. It's very, it's very similar um, in, that, in that, you know, there are certain things that government can do for us, and there right. are certain things that government cannot do for us, right? right? Government cannot quarantine the U.S. population. Not all of it, right? No. Small segments of it, sure, but, but not large scale, right? So. Right. So we as individual citizens have to take corrective action on our yep. own, right? Yep. All right, government cannot solve our homeless problem. Government cannot solve our, our problems of economic insecurity and the fact that you know half the country is, is economically insecure today. In fact, more than half the country. I've, I read that 78% of people in America, 78%. I mean, this is yeah. un, unbelievable, but that that level of people don't have $500 in savings in their bank account. Right. 78% of the population. Now, yeah. they're they're frankly they're one coronavirus away from potentially losing their job, losing their home, losing, you know, everything. Everything that they've worked for becoming homeless, right? Yeah. Because they don't have the the uh, savings to weather the storm. What right. if the virus you know, causes their business to close and right. they're out of work. They're out of work for a month, right? And they can't pay their rent and right. they're evicted, right? So, so you know, we, we are, a lot of people are in, in a somewhat precarious situation. And, and so government's not going to stop in and, and, and come in and help them. You know, uh, Trump can do all, all he wants to do in terms of, you know, tax credits and, and deductions and, and uh, food stamps and whatever he wants to do. But the bottom line is government can't solve this problem. And so right. the only way we're gonna solve this problem is by the American people helping each other. The same thing is true with the coronavirus. The only way we're gonna solve this problem is by the American people doing what they need to do without yeah. the assistance of government, without the direction of government. It's, you know? it's like I said, I kept my daughter home from school exactly. and, and my wife and I had, you know, we talked about, I, she said, you think? And I said, no, I know. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that the coronavirus is in her school. Yeah. I'm saying 
I'm not, I'd rather be like, Hey, guess what? The coronavirus showed up at your school and you weren't there. So you're good. Right. So, yeah. and, 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 you know, so again, I totally, I do. I cannot believe we've been on here 56 minutes already. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. So, so, and I, and I like to keep it around an hour or so. And, yeah. and, and let me use let me use a couple of these last minutes because I want to get something out. Oh, we got plenty of time. We'll stay on for I, I don't care how long. Let's just keep going. I okay. just want to give All right. heads well, up. I'm, I'm yours, so I'll stay. Yeah. As long, I'll stay as yeah, long. Yeah, as yeah. You like. I'll stay as long as you like. I so, wanted I wanted to make sure that people. Some people are going to tune out because you know an hour is a lot, and um, I wanted to make sure right. some people. We'll go on and talk about whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to make some sure some people knew. That, that I have a book out. And the reason I want them to know about the book is, no. not, is not because I need to sell books, okay? I really, I, I really don't need to sell books. <laughs> it bought but, that beautiful hotel lobby you're in. Yeah, yeah. But, but here's the book. It's called Millennial Samurai, right? Yep. Okay. And let me just tell you a little bit about what it's about. First of all, don't believe me. Just go on Amazon and look at the reviews. Look at what people are saying about the book, okay? And that will convince you that you need to get the book, all right? Okay. But basically what the book is, is if I were to drop you off in the Amazon rainforest and I were going to give you a duffel bag, we all know the types of things that we would put in that duffel bag, right? You'd put water, you'd put a compass, you'd put you know matches or some utility to start fires, right? You'd put a knife or a saw or, you know, blades of some kind. So these are the types of things that you know would be useful for someone to survive and or thrive in the uh, Amazon rainforest, right? Right, right. Well, this is your duffel book. This is your duffel bag to survive and thrive in the 21st century, okay? And it, it's, it's written to give people a leg up. It's, it's written to empower people. It's written to take that guy who right now is homeless or underemployed or, or you know, not uh, uh, reaching his goals or reaching his dreams or her dreams and to empower them and tell them, look, here's what you need to do. Here, these are the things not only that I have done to achieve whatever level of success I've achieved, but these are the things that all su successful people have done from the dawn of time, these are the ancient core values. These are the principles. These are the attitudes. These are the traits. These are the things that people who have been successful do. Okay. So, yeah. so that's what Millennial Samurai is about. Now, it, it, it begins with mindset. It talks to you about how to think, how to, you know, critically think, right. how to make good choices how to analyze and solve and resolve problems, how to communicate effectively, how to negotiate effectively, how to think, right? right? And then it goes on and talks about core principles. It talks about, you know, attitude. It talks about optimism. It talks about gratitude. It talks about authenticity. It talks about character, courage, commitment, and compassion. It talks about all of the issues. It's 182 chapters, okay? And that wow. sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot, but they're only one to three pages each. Oh so my gosh. They're very short. They're very easy to read. You can sit down. If you have five minutes, you can sit down and read a couple of chapters. 
If you have 10 minutes, you can read four or five chapters. Right? My wife wants to know which curriculum did you use? Which curriculum? Yeah. Well, what does she mean by that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she means by that. I'm not yeah. an educator um, and I'm not a teacher. So that may have, that may be a term of art. In Actually, I think you are. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well anyway, that may be a, that may be a term of art uh, yeah. in, the, in the education community, but basically what I did. Oh, she was talking, she was talking to somebody else in the stream. My apologies. Okay, okay no problem. Yeah. So, so, so the idea here is, is that if you read these chapters and you can read them over time, it will take you through from beginning to end, essentially everything that I think you need to know, right. to not only survive and thrive in the 21st century, but to have a great life, right? Th this is the information that I am leaving my daughter and my nephews and nieces. This is the information that, that honestly, I'm more proud. I am more proud of, of having authored Millennial Samurai than I am of having served as Nevada's attorney general. Wow. Or that I am of having argued before the United States Supreme Court and won a unanimous decision. Wow. I am more proud of Millennial Samurai. And the reason is that Millennial Samurai will end up changing more people's lives. And That's Millennial awesome. Samurai will reach people and it will literally change the lives of human beings more so than anything that I have done in my life. And wow. so that's why I'm proud of it. That's and, so awesome. Yeah, and if you read the reviews, you'll know why. It's been called a secular Bible for the 21st century. Wow. It's been called, it's been called a masterpiece. It's been called, uh, it's, people have said this, this book should be in every home in America. Um, it, it, is, it is genuinely a really powerful book. And, um, and you can get it on Amazon. And I, I, put, I put the link in um, and, and actually pinned it to the comments. So awesome. awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I hope people do get it. Um, I hope they read it because if they read it, you know, it's all about, it's all about finding breakthrough knowledge, right? So how do you find, we are in an information uh, era, right? Yeah. So we have information overload. We yep. have information that is coming at us from all different directions. We have more information and data than we can possibly digest, right? So in that, in, in that environment, how do you find breakthrough knowledge? How do you find knowledge that is going to be life-changing in a sea of information and a sea of disinformation? Yeah. Right? All right. Well, here's how you do it, right? I have spent the last five years reading and researching I, I, reading everything that I can get my hands on about how to survive and thrive in the 21st century, about what the next 30 years is going to be like. Right. And I have analyzed what I have seen from the perspective of a person who has spent the last 30 years solving complex problems. That was my business. My business as a lawyer was solving people's problems, right? You'd come to me with yeah. a problem, I'd help you solve it. It was a, typically yeah. a problem that you could not solve on your own, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so how did I solve those problems over the last 30 years? I used what's called a helicopter perspective. And a helicopter perspective is where when you have a problem, you see the problem from the ground. You yeah. see the 
problem from your individual perspective, right? Yep. You don't see it from all the different angles, right? You don't yep. see it from your wife's perspective or your partner's perspective or society's perspective. You see it from your own perspective, right? right. All right. Well, as, as, as a problem solver, I couldn't just adopt your perspective or I would be no better at solving your problem than you are. Right. right? So I had to take on a different perspective. I had to take on a helicopter perspective. I had to understand your wife's perspective, your child's perspective, your partner's perspective, society's perspective on whatever your issue happened to be, right? Okay. Yeah. I had to understand all of these different perspectives. And so by taking that helicopter perspective, I was able to look at problems objectively and comprehensively. And I was able to fashion solutions and create options and generate paths towards success, right? right? And so what I did was I, in 2012, I had a heart attack and, and I was worried about my potentially dying. My daughter was 16 at the time mm -hmm. and I had nephews and nieces and, and my uh, sister's son was 21 at the time. I was worried about, you know, if I died, what would happen to them? And so I began writing, I put my affairs in order and then I began to write a letter to my daughter. That letter ultimately became my first book, which was called Seize Your Destiny, A Roadmap to Success, right? Well, I just got, I literally just got chills. Like yeah. that's unbelievably cool. So that was my first book. That was, that was written as a letter to my daughter that ultimately became a book. And wow. this, was, this was basically me downloading all of what I had learned throughout my life over the prior 30 years about how to have a happy, successful, and meaningful life. So that was my legacy to my daughter. And after I finished it, I said to myself, okay, great. I've done what I set out to do. I've downloaded my knowledge. I've given her this, this legacy of information. Right. Um, if she ever has a question and I'm not there, she can look in the book and she can find the answer. But then after I did that, I realized, you know something, the life that she is going to live is going to be very different from my life it's not going to be the last 30 years. It's going to be the next 30 years, right? Yeah. So that required that I now look at the next 30 years. So then I began researching the next 30 years, the future 30 years. And that ultimately led to a second book of life advice. And that was Millennial Samurai, right? So, now, Millennial, so I, have a, I have a question. Should... Should they be um, should they be read in consecutive order or would would the no. millennial samurai? No, the beauty, the beauty of these books is that um, you can read. You don't even have to read the, them in the order that I've presented them. Let alone read "Seize Your Destiny" before "Millennial Samurai." You okay. could you could take uh, uh, "Millennial Samurai" for example, right? And I could open it up, and I could uh, uh, you know turn to a chapter on failure. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. So so, or you could turn to uh, a uh, a chapter on opportunity. Right. All right. You've got something highlighted. Read read that highlighted section. Okay. Well, that was first of all. That's my wife. This is my wife's copy. Well, good. Well, I want to see what's important to her. Okay. So, <laughs> so she highlighted opportunity is rarely patient. It doesn't normally announce itself, and it sometimes comes disguised as misfortune. Oh man. Okay. You just sold me, man. I'm getting the book. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
you know, for example, you know, um, uh, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a crass example, uh, but we've been talking about the coronavirus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you've seen the stock market plunge, right? I, it just popped up on my screen that it just plunged deeper. <laughs> yeah. So, so what does that create? It Mass creates, panic. It, well, it also creates a buying opportunity. It doesn't sure it? does. Yep. Right. At Absolutely. some point, at some point, we're going to hit the bottom of the market. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And what's going to happen at the bottom of the market? Right. Well, what 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 will have happened? is that the wealth of millions of people will have been wiped out by yep. stock plummeting from $100 a share to $40 a share, right? Yep. But the smart people and the people who have money, they will come in at $40 a share and they will make a killing. Yep. They will make a fortune. So within that distressed situation is an opportunity, yep. right? There is an opportunity there. Yep. So. You know, life doesn't always give us good things, right? Life gives us good things and it gives us bad things. Yes. If we only celebrate and we only take advantage of and we only leverage the good things and we allow the bad things to harm us, yep. to, to undermine us, to disincentivize us, right. to, to uh, demoralize us, right, then... Yep. Half of the things that are happening in life, we're not fully taking advantage of, right? We're allowing them to harm us, right? Yep. So, so instead of when when negative things happen to me, okay, when 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 my parents get divorced when I'm one year old, right? I yep. don't look at it as woe is me. I look at it as holy shit! I get to travel all over the country, right? Uh, I get to live in different cities. I get to meet different people. I get to develop, you know, a true sense of independence. Um, I get to grow through the process, right? right. When, I have a heart attack, when I have a heart attack, I don't sit in bed and say, you know, oh my God, I've had a heart attack. Now I'm, I'm going to die. Now I'm going to die and I'm going to, you know, it's, I, I become an author. Right. I become an author. I launch a whole new career. I yep. become an author and a speaker. It's the greatest thing. The heart attack was the, the greatest damn thing that's happened to me. Well, yep. and, and so I, I want to point something out and, and we are probably getting close to, to, to needing to finish up in the next yep. five minutes or so, but I want to, I want to point something out because one of the questions I ask every guest is, you know, and, and before you answer, I want to, I want to add something to it, but that is what, in your opinion, do you think it is that holds most people back in life? And 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 I want I want to lead the witness. <laughs> well, I have my answer already. It's one word. What thoughts? Thoughts, right? Yeah. But you're it's 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 a little deeper than that because you just you just answered it without answering it, and that is it's the it's the stories that you're telling yourself, like yeah. right, like oh I, I I had a heart attack and now my life's over, and you're yeah. like. No, screw that shit. That's not where it ends. That's it's where it begins. How, it's how you think. It's how you right. think, which is why Millennial Samurai begins with mindset, right? Right. The first right. portion of the book, the first section of the book is all about mindset, right? right. It's about how you think, okay? Because yeah. how we think determines how we act. And how we act determines the habits that we form. And the habits that we form determine the lives that we lead. 
and, yep. and, and what our destiny ultimately is. So right. it, all begin, it all begins with your thoughts. Um, Oprah Winfrey was interviewed in uh, 2014 at Stanford University, and she was asked about the failures of her philanthropic investments in Africa. She right. built a girls' school. She built a library, and nobody came. And, and so she invested millions of dollars, and nobody came. Right. And, and, and they, the grad student at Stanford said, what did you learn from this experience? And she said, I learned that in order for people to succeed, you first have to change the way you think. You first have to change the way you think. She said, yep. if you have a sense of hopelessness and a, and, and, and a lack of aspiration, okay, then a book in a library is no different than a piece of firewood. It has no relevance to you. Right. If you, think, if you don't understand how that book can change your life, and if you don't believe that your life can be changed, then you will never read that book. And it's about as good as a piece of firewood, right? Wow. But if you believe that your life can be better, and if you believe that that book may be able to be the key to change your life, yep. and books do change lives, yep. meeting moments change lives, sentences change lives, paragraphs change lives, chapters change lives, right? Yep. So it may not be the same sentence. You know, you asked me to read that sentence, right? Yeah. Yeah. That sentence, somebody reading that sentence could have an epiphany moment that could say to themselves, you know, you know something? I need to think differently about yeah. the way I'm looking at this problem, right? Yeah. I'm going through this divorce. I just lost my job. I just had a heart attack. I'm thinking about it a certain way. I need to think differently about this circumstance. Yeah. Reading that book teaches them how to think differently and why to think differently and actually causes them to think differently. Right. It has changed their life, right? Man, man. It's changed their life. And so moments change lives. I can tell you time and time again, I can tell you all sorts of stories. Ringo Starr was in his hospital bed. Um, he was asked, how did you become a drummer? Uh, so, so in, in later life, when he was yeah. part of the Beatles, he was asked, how did you become a drummer? Right. He said, I was sitting in a hospital bed. I was 13 years old and a nurse came in and she put a little toy drum on my bed. He said, I never let it down. Wow. That moment, that moment changed his life. Okay. Moments do indeed change lives. Les Brown talks about this all the time. Okay, he talks about a teacher that he had who said some things to him that yep. empowered him. And moments do change lives. So Millennial Samurai is, is important for a number of reasons. Number one, it contains breakthrough knowledge. Okay, so as you're looking through this, instead of looking through a sea of distraction and reading, instead of reading a 200-page book on optimism or a 200-page book on communication, or a 200-page book on collaboration, or a 200-page book on creativity, what I've done is I've read these types of books, and I've read articles, and I've read studies, and I've, I've devoured information for a five-year period, and then yeah. I've distilled that information down, distilling it down to its essence, right? Yeah. And, I, and, I've, and I've written these short chapters that are powerful, 
that are that are that are talking about all of these issues and that are giving you exactly what you need to know about each of those issues, nothing more and nothing less. Wow. So, so you know, you're not wasting your time reading a bunch of shit that you don't need to read. Right. You're, you're reading just what you need to read, right? Yeah. So, so my challenge was doing that in short bite-sized chapters, right? So yeah. character, for example. How do how, University of Pennsylvania professors have written a 800-page treatise on recently, and and I've written three pages, right? <laughs> so how do I take three pages? How do I take three pages and convince a young person or any person that character is probably the most fundamental point in my life that has changed my life? that has created all of the opportunities, all of the most important opportunities I have had in my life, I can trace to character, right? So I've got to convince you in three pages that you need to embrace good character as yeah. part of a, 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 a central pillar in your life. Yeah. And, and that's what I've tried to do. And I've tried to do that with character, courage, commitment, compassion, failure, all of the big issues and tell you just what you need to know. So I, I highly recommend that people uh, read the book. You know what? I'm going to get the book and then I'm going to read at least part of it. And then I'm going to have you come back on. Awesome. I, I would like, like Bob and I do live streams together all the time. I'd like you to be a regular contributor to my live stream. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're, you're amazing, man. <laughs> and, and Bob said, you're not going to believe this guy. I totally, it, like you've blown me away. And I'm telling you, you've blown a lot of other people away. I think you just sold a bunch of books, by the way. So, <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> the electric bill next month. <laughs> that's good. Let, let me let me tell everyone one other thing that they should do. They should go to a website called limitlessthinking.com. Limit Is that your website? Yeah, limitlessthinking.com. It's an empowerment event that I'm putting together. Okay. And it's going to be a low-cost event. So the idea is to empower other human beings to have people like Bob, like you, like me, you know, people that have had success in life, people that have something to share, yeah. people that want to give back to yeah. other people, people who want to do what it is that I've been talking about for the last hour, which is enrich other people, lift up other people. Yes. will be that event. And, and I'm, it's in the process of being developed right now. The first events will be in Las Vegas. We'll start small. We'll do things like Bob is doing with, you know, next level, right? Yeah. We'll have dinner yeah. parties. We'll have cocktail parties. Yeah. Uh, we'll bring people together. We'll bring mentors together with mentees or potential mentees. Yeah. We'll bring young people who need guidance and direction together with people who want to give guidance and direction. We'll bring together billionaires, Olympic athletes, People who have, you know, I've got a, a guy who was a heroin addict who's now uh, a, a PhD, getting his PhD in neuroscience. Wow. I've got you, you know, you were homeless. Now wow. you're, you know, successful in doing uh, podcasts and helping other people and 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 writing and and and, and researching and, and speaking. And uh, you know, you've got Bob, who's who's a behaviorist who has studied human interaction and human behavior and is speaking and writing as well. All of us can, can help. We can be part of the solution. In fact, it's more than that, Ken. Yeah. We are the solution. 
Amen. We are the only solution. Okay. Amen. Government is not coming in on a white horse to save anybody. Okay. We nope. are the guys who are coming in on the white horse. That's we right. are the solution. Okay. And so I'm trying to gather more people like you, like Bob, like myself, who want to help. And I'm trying to gather people who want help and, and bring them together and, and, wow. and, and have humanity empower humanity. I genuinely believe in, in, my, in, in the deepest part of me, I genuinely believe, and I've seen overwhelming evidence of this, that we are all profoundly interdependent. Yep. We will sink or swim together. Okay. I totally we agree. Swim together. Okay. Yep. We have to lift up other people. And, and this is what I have now devoted my life to. I'm 61 years old. This is what my life is about. I couldn't be prouder. I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more content. And this is what I'm doing. And, wow. uh, and, and I'm not alone. You're doing it. Bob O'Donnell is yep. doing it. A lot of people are doing it. And I want to bring those people together with people who need what we're doing and help yep. them and help them so that together we can have a better society. A rising tide raises all boats. Yes. So I, I think I, I I have chills, by the way, because like you're you're just totally speaking my language. And, and look, I, I, I mean, I, I'll interject that. You know, prior to me getting sober 17 and a half years ago, I was a very selfish man. I was a multimillionaire in my 20s and I I, I drank all that away. But I, I it was all about me. And, and I had this shift about 15 years ago that was like, wait a minute, that's not what life is about. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about we. And 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 yeah. so, you know. That's that's what it's about. And yeah. and I love it. Now, I don't go out to the streets and try to convince homeless people that they don't have to be homeless. I mean, I, I but I do my best to help them if I can. So but look, we could go on all day. I have an appointment coming up here shortly. And I know and people are loving this, by the way. So you have to come back on. I, okay. I'm begging you. I'm pleading. No, no, no. Hey, I, you I, have to, you have I want I want you back on. We could talk literally for hours. I know yeah, you don't you don't have to beg. I'm I'm available anytime you want me. I love that, man. George, you are a phenomenal human doing. And the, I there's there are human beings and there are human doings. And you are a human doing, and I, I I love it, man. You're you're out there changing the world. Everybody watching this right now, go to limitlessthinking.com. I already posted the link to Amazon to go over. Click on the link, go get the book, and 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 unless you're not going to read it, but then get the book and give it to somebody that's a yeah. doer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and when you go to Limitless Thinking, register. It doesn't cost you anything. Okay. We're not going to send you a bunch of you know useless email and 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 fill your email box. You can unsubscribe at any time. But we're just going to notify you about what we're doing and where you can participate and how you can participate and when the events will be. Wow. And if you don't, and if you're not interested, you know, just you'll be able to unsubscribe. But um, but just sign up for information. If you want to be in the know and you want to be in the loop, um, you need to be registered um, so That's that I know awesome. who you are and, and I can reach out to you. There's a lady on here who her son is homeless. Her name is Susan Day. 
she's living in her car with this this guy, her son, because she's trying to save him. He's schizophrenic and some drug issues and stuff. And she's in tears right now because she feels hope because of you. So, you know, um, you know, Susan, I have, I have a very good friend. I have a very good friend, um, named Denise and, um, her son, uh, is homeless, um, and has a drug addiction problem and, uh, it's torture for, for him and for her. Yeah. Um, And, um, I'm, I'm, you know, my deepest sympathy. I, I can't imagine uh, what you're going through and what you're feeling, um, you know, and, and that may be a problem that is well beyond my level of expertise. He, right. you know, he may need uh, medical or, or psychiatric counseling. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances. Right, uh, right. But, but I can tell you that, uh, that for you, um, reading Millennial Samurai will help, and yep. um, and you might find some things in there that uh, that can help. There's there's a chapter on uh, EMDR, which is a new form of of uh, counseling uh, that is experimental, and it's and it's proving very effective. Uh, the Veterans Administration has embraced it, um, and uh, you you know who knows maybe EMDR is is a good solution for your son. I don't know. Um, but the bottom line is, um, you know, it's a a good starting point, Susan. You're a courageous human being. Um, and you know, um, my heart goes out to you. Um, you know, she's a good woman. I know her well. So, well, George, listen, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Everybody on here is blown away. You're, you're an amazing, you're, you're amazing. So I, 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 I don't know what else to say. It's rare I that I'm on- from Wauwatosa. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, That's right. It. Yeah, it's from Well, that cold weather did something really good for you. So, yeah. yeah. Well, listen. Thank you. Don't hang up on me. I am going to end the broadcast. So, thank you guys so much. Thank you to everyone who shared this out and who stayed on and and comments and love and everything. So, thank you. George, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Ken. Look forward to having you back on. Yeah, thank you. All righty. Okay, bye-bye.